Operator, I have a transmission from Mr. Luna. He is on a bus. What, did he run out of Uber tokens or something? Uh, I guess play transmission. A mentally ill man massages the highway's soft shoulder with his shuffling feet. Plumes of dust engulfing him as semis casting enormous shadows threaten to suck in the wraith by the road as they moan by. The man is too busy, pleading with the sun above to be startled, however. He intermittently stares into the sky's blazing eye until forced to look away. He is attempting to burn the voice from his mind. The voice of an evil god speaking to its evil son. He has been walking forever, it seems, and only comes to a stop when finally forced to by the highway patrol. Meet Vincent Lee, a man not only headed into the sun, but into his 40s. An immigrant from China with a degree in computer science that has thus far been useless. He is a husband, an underachiever with a penchant for drifting away from his responsibilities and ending up far from home with a sunburnt face and empty pockets. And now, after being evaluated by a mental health professional, he is also a diagnosed schizophrenic. Lee is prescribed medication that he does not take. He does not seek further help once released. He does not question whether or not the voice that guides his erratic actions is real. After all, who's to say what is real? The voice is realer than anything else in this world. Can you not hear it? Of course you can't, you know. Worthy. You're not chosen. This is his cross to bear and it won't be long. He is certain. Before there will be direction as to where to plant it. The aliens are coming. Have likely already landed, in fact, and it's only a matter of time before they'll reveal themselves. He is ready. Prepared to strike first should he cross paths with one of these sleeper cells. Man, woman, child, animal, even. Behind the dark sunglasses of Vince Lee, you and they are all closely inspected, paraded in front of a paranoid god through his son's vigilant, unblinking stare. Everything outside of Vincent Lee's inner world is falling apart. Not that it ever had been all that together in the first place. Early life in China had been spent dreaming of a way out. That dream had led him here, to Canada. A place that to this point had failed to live up to his expectation. The expectation that everything would improve in a free country. The problem, of course, is that Lee is a prisoner of his own mind. That even if he were the last man on earth, he'd be no more alone than he is now. On a bus filled with people. From Edmonton to Thunder Bay. One way. That's the ticket Lee has purchased. He has no plan, only knows that he has to get out into the world, find some purpose, appease the voice in his mind. Lee's wife is irritating, and when she isn't, she's just plain boring. His ever-changing social group consists of co-workers, kids, and apathetic baby boomers who tolerate his ramblings out of their own boredom. Walmart, McDonald's, newspaper delivery guy, odd job church weirdo. He'd been hired and fired by just about every minimum wage outfit in existence. Vincent Lee occasionally dusts off his degree from the Wuhan Institute of Technology, but prospective employers look at it as if it's counterfeit. 
Lee's useless in an interview, having failed to achieve a decent grip on the English language even after seven years in his new country, and now at the age of 40, he's tired of trying to fit in, to be normal. He realizes he's not like everyone else. He has a purpose, a destiny, and if he's ever going to meet it, it's now clear that he's going to have to give in and follow the voice's instructions. Lee heads out without telling any one of his plans, even himself. He brings with him a bag, and he has a laptop, toilet paper, a bottle of cool mess tea, scissors, and a Rambo-style knife recently purchased from a Canadian tire, among some other essentials. The bus he rides on now, as he often does when in need of a cheap getaway, is a Greyhound, a company that in this summer of 2008 is running an ad campaign centered around the slogan there's a reason you've never heard of bus rage they'll soon regret that statement and so here we are nearly halfway to Thunder Bay Ontario out in the middle of nowhere Manitoba Vince Lee following instructions from his god disembarks the bus in a small town named Erickson and sits on a bench he will sit here all through the night stock still eyes wide blazing he shuffles once when a pickup truck slowly passes, the voice in his head warning him to be alert, to make sure his weapon is at the ready. But the vehicle moves on through the ghost-like town without incident. When the sun rises on July 30th of 2008, Lee robotically comes to life, takes out his laptop and writes on a piece of paper the price he's looking to get for it. $600, our best offer. Soon, a young man on his way to pump gas for the day stops to inquire. He offers the large stranger with the sunglasses, black t-shirt, and closely shaved head the 60 bucks he has on him. Vince Lee accepts the offer, rising from the bench to tower over the 15-year-old who has no idea how much danger he now is in. The money changes hands. The laptop is hustled away, and Lee looks up to see the next bus approaching. The voice in his head becomes excitable. Vince Lee listens close. Then, in almost militant fashion, picks up a significantly lighter bag and steps to the curb to meet his destiny. End of transmission. Welcome to Crime Machine, episode 009. Let's climb aboard, shall we? Tim McLean has dreams. Dreams that are open and evolving as he pushes his way out into them. Small town Manitoba could not contain him much longer as he grew into a young man, and the first chance he saw to get out, he took it, becoming a carnival barker within the Western Canada carnival circuit. Small steps, but steps he took, Tim being a small, wiry guy that was all he could muster. But he took so many so fast that before long he found himself all the way on the other side of the country, in British Columbia, the most beautiful place he had ever seen. Tim is a natural carny. That may sound like a slight, but it is not meant to be. He is a people person, able to thaw any room within moments of being in it. 
He asks questions about you and in doing so offers everything that is needed to understand him. A good guy, a good kid. Someone who wants life to be easy, fun. Someone who needs others to be enjoying themselves in order to be able to do the same. You know the type, do you? Well, then you know Tim McLean is rare. You know Tim is going to keep pushing until he reaches his goals, then push others to achieve the same. You know, like Tim does, that one day he'll be a success, maybe even famous. He's right about that, that he'll be famous. Has told everyone that will listen in his charming way to just watch. This small town Manitoban kid would be in the news someday, plastered all over the front page. A fixture on your television. And unfortunately, he is correct. Tim McLean is on his way home to Winnipeg after a work stint with the Carnival, Edmonton's Klondike Days exhibition. Friends had offered to pay for a plane ticket to get him home quicker, but Tim enjoys riding the bus. It gives him time to think. And the thoughts running through the 22-year-old's head likely have much to do with his unborn baby, a boy, due in the winter, and the plans he has to relocate to somewhere a little warmer, somewhere like British Columbia. Nanaimo, specifically, a place he had fallen in love with in his recent travel. Tim takes plenty of video documenting his travels, his dreams, his expectations of himself. But for now, he sits at the back of the Greyhound bus, dozing, listening to music through headphones. When the bus stops in Ericsson, he looks up sleepily to see a large man with sunglasses on board. The man looks around for a moment before taking a seat near the front. Tim sleepily looks out the window onto the small prairie town. It is a sunny day in Ericsson. The crops are in full bloom and they make for peaceful scenery as the bus slumbers its way back to the Trans-Canada Highway. The next stop is Brandon, then after that, Winnipeg. Home. Then from there, the possibilities are endless. In Brandon, the bus stops for a break. Passengers head out to stretch their legs. Some smoke. Tim McLean is of this group. Vincent Lee is not. Tim makes friends quick, talking up a storm, making jokes, commenting cheerfully on the beautiful weather. Vincent Lee stands alone, muttering to himself. Tim maybe notices this, and feels bad for the man. When the passengers head back to their seats, only one chooses a new spot to sit. Vince Lee is the last to board, and he methodically makes his way down the aisle. As tuned into his own thoughts as many of the passengers are to the music and audiobooks playing through earbuds. Some look up to watch the movie that has appeared on the mini TVs above. The Mask of Zorro will be the feature. Lee approaches Tim McLean's section, and of all the passengers squeezed into the back, Tim is the only one who acknowledges the strange character coming his way. He nods at Lee and smiles, trying to make the man feel comfortable. The voice in Lee's head affirms that this young man is an imposter, that he is here to destroy him, 
and Lee better keep this enemy close. He takes a seat next to the much smaller man, and the bus, once again, heads out onto the prairie highway. A highway now cast with shadows as the day grows old. Tim McLean does not realize that he has suddenly grown old himself, that the Reaper has chosen him as his next, that as he dozes off, Vincent Lee is fighting with his Heavenly Father, arguing that there has to be another way, that killing the alien beside him may not be for the best. He listens to instruction, begins to nod as the necessary steps are explained to him, and as he drinks slowly from his two-liter bottle of iced tea, Resting his chin on a roll of toilet paper between sips in an almost ritualistic fashion, Lee begins to chant. Tim is asleep. He is not startled at this disconcerting development, but his fellow passengers do. Some turn to see where the odd mix of humming and foreign language is coming from, and then recoil when the large man in the back pulls a Rambo-style bowie knife from his bag, a sharp and brutal-looking weapon that belongs more in the movie above, than this scene below and slowly raises it over his sleeping seatmate. Vincent Lee does not exist in this moment. He is here in body, sure, over the edge and in motion towards an outrageous act. But he is gone, mentally, under complete control of the voice of his mental illness. He is powerless to it, or empowered by it to the point where it doesn't matter. Part of the reason why this is happening is that he fiercely believes in his God. He won't question such a force. If he were an atheist, then maybe he would be capable of questioning, of hesitation, of being able to seek help, but he will not disrespect this God by doubting it. He will only follow its instruction. Like many of us, he believes that he is destined for greatness, or infamy in some form or fashion. We all feel that our time is coming, our moment. But for most of us, it arrives while we're not waiting and we miss it. Lee is not of that crowd. He stays vigilant, open to the call, a call that rings between his ears now, as loud and undeniable as any that has ever been transmitted from the depths of heaven or hell. Who is to say the voice is not real? It's real enough to Lee and it's certainly coming from somewhere. Kill, 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 kill. Tim McLean wakes up to a nightmare. He fights like hell, and though he's already been stabbed multiple times in the neck and chest, by the time he realizes what is happening, he manages to leap from his window seat and land in the aisle after climbing his attacker like a tree. Unfortunately, the stabbing never ceases once it starts. He screams, a scream that will haunt everyone on this bus forever, and then dies under the relentless piston of Vince Lee's knife. The bus is empty when Lee turns around. It is also parked out in the middle of the prairie. He walks to the front door and sees fear in the eyes of every face out there. They whimper and appear as gathering spirits backlit by the falling sun. Later, there will be many heroes, but now there are none. A truck driver holds some sort of weapon out there. Lee grins and returns to the body, the voice in his head imploring him to tear it apart. 
scatter it before it comes back to life and kills him. Vince Lee does as instructed. He takes to cutting the head off as a first order of business, completely unaware that the trucker and two others have boarded the bus as he does so. He is in a muted sub-world of sorts as he immerses in this gory work. But once he liberates the head, he cocks his own, sensing the weak intervention forming. Lee holds the head out in front of himself like a lantern and stalks towards his pursuers, and is soon alone with his kill once again. He menaces the crowd outside with the head, then eats the eyeballs from the skull. They will not take him. He will stay on this bus forever, if necessary. He paces the aisle, approaches the door, and manages to push the knife out through it for a moment in a scene straight out of a horror movie. The crowd fight him off, and he's forced to retrieve his arm. That is fine. That should keep them at bay. While he works, at least. Lee slams the blade into the chest of this alien, cuts at its heart, eats a third of it. He stands and greedily licks blood from his fingers. Outside passengers scream, cry, sob, vomit. He holds the head up and shakes it, thrilled by their terror. The police have arrived, the Mounties. They wait out there, He does not understand why. Oh well, more time to finish this then. He slices off an ear, lops off the nose, removes the tongue and stuffs these talismans in his pocket. He rips at the body as red and blue light washes over him. Outside the Mounties shine their flashlights in and watch as he scatters the corpse as the voice inside his mind instructs. He places pieces of flesh in plastic bags and hides them like macabre Easter eggs. One of the Mounties outside is destined to commit suicide in no small part as a result of this scene that Lee is creating. He mucks around with the body, something that looks like a strawless scarecrow now. Lee defiles and gorges on its contents for five hours. The entire group outside will feel the reverberations of this evil act throughout the rest of their day. It is past midnight when he finally feels as though his mission is complete. He attempts to drive the bus, but it has been disabled. Then, after peering back into his mind and finding silence, as if he were alone on a ghost flight, he strides to the back of the bus and breaks a window. Vincent Lee is tasered twice as he attempts to flee. Then, as he begs to be shot, he is arrested. The voice, like the sun, has deserted him. He is left used up in the dark. Blank eyes looking out over a blank prairie. Emptiness. Everywhere. Tim McLean's mother has a bad feeling. She's serving dinner to senior citizens when the sense of impending doom overtakes her. But she manages to shake it off. Everyone is talking about this thing that has happened on a Greyhound bus and... She knows her son was on his way home on just such a mode of transport. But surely he is back now. She tells herself this. Tells herself that he has already arrived. That she will hear from him tonight. But she never hears from her child again. She, like Tim's father, will learn secondhand what became of Tim. And when she does, the world seems to end. The final chapter, written in the book of her life the period marked by a bleeding pen glued to the page with rage. Her scream out of her front door of the word no, echoing out into the Manitoba air. 
filling the page with rolling blackness, filling her broken heart with despair. Vincent Lee's only words at his arraignment are these. Please kill me. In China, maybe, probably this would be his fate. He fully expects to die, at the very least to spend the rest of his days in a hole, desperate to find a method to kill himself, but this is Canada. He is sent for a psychological exam, and it is determined that he cannot be held criminally responsible for his action. Due to his unmedicated condition while committing his heinous act, he is determined to be just as much a victim of this crime as anyone else. He spends ten years in treatment, and his release once found not to be a danger to himself or others, as long as he continues to take his medication, something he is trusted to do. He need not check in. He is free to go. Just a little blip on the radar, a minor malfunction. What happened on that bus? He changes his name to Will Baker, applies for a college program, is reintegrated into society, and left alone. He is out there today, and we can only hope he continues to take his medication and does not once again follow his God into the sun, then onto a bus or into a school, anywhere that the voice claims danger lurks, really. A voice that avoided trial a voice that surely whispers from time to time in the mind of Will Baker and suggests he skip a pill or two in order to hear it out. Crime Machine is a new breed of true crime podcast researched, written, and narrated by Jack Luna and produced by me, the operator. Subscribe to Crime Machine wherever you consume your podcasts and remember to tell everyone what you heard here today. Do you love us or wanting to hear more Crime Machine than everyone else? You can support Crime Machine on Patreon. Become a member by searching for Crime Machine on Patreon or by going to patreon.com forward slash crime machine.